Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. We're going to do a bonus episode with our friends, Brian and Lexi Sove. I called them... Uh, the Suaves. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I did an interview recently where I called the person by a wrong name, and actually Brian <laughs> Tony was sitting Stumpler. in. Tony, Tony Stumpler. He's a great Sorry guy. about that, Toby, if you by chance you're listening <laughs> to this, but yeah, it was bad. But I did call you the Suaves for it a long cool. time. It, it does. I mean, take it. Like Rico Suave, mm-hmm. isn't that a thing? That means smooth. Smooth? Sove means so, saved. Saved. Okay, yeah. Sove. That's, that's cooler. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, why don't we pray, and then I, what I'd like to do, Brian and Lexi have been friends of Jordan and I's for the last couple years, or last year and a half now. We really love them, and uh, they're out here in Ogden, Utah, and I'll let them tell a little bit about their story here in a minute, but why don't we pray, and then I'll just start asking them questions. And Jordan wishes she could be here right now, but we're just going to act like, Jordan and I worked on these questions beforehand, so uh, we're just going to ask these questions as if Jordan's here as well, and we're just going to ask them questions that we really want to know from them. And uh, we just appreciate these two, so it's going to be fun. And uh, you guys are on the hot seat. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get, into, uh, we'll get into some of these questions. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. And I just thank you for those who are in, in ministry. And uh, I thank you for your willingness to invite people into your work. And we get to see you work regularly. And on the front lines of ministry, being a pastor and our wives being pastor's wives, being able to see you work is just an amazing thing. And I just thank you for friendship, cross-country friendships. I'm sitting here in Ogden, Utah right now. It's snowing outside. And we're about to do some reading. And I just spent a great you know, couple days with, this, with, uh, with uh, the elders at Refuge Church and, and then now just getting to spend some time with the Sauvets. And I just, we just, I'm just so thankful for them. Lead this uh, little interview here, and, and I just thank you for this couple. And I just trust God that you're, gonna, uh, you're just going to point us to Jesus. And that's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it has, it really has, it's been a joy for, like, we love you guys. And it's so cool, just the, the Voxer app, a little free plug for Voxer. But yeah, Voxer, <laughs> I'd never heard of that. Yeah. It, it reminded me that, remember the, um, what was it a few years ago where it was the beep phones, the phones where you would beep and then people would walkie-talkie through? Nextel. Remember Nextel yeah, oh, phones? Yeah. When I was in college, Nextel was really huge. That's commercials. Yeah. I remember the commercials. And Voxer's kind of like that. Mm. But Jordan... And Lexi, you're always boxing. Always. Always. Always, yeah. all day. Talking about bread and <laughs> theology and the Wilson family and <laughs> our boys and kids and all that. But it's been a joy for us to get to know you. So, okay, tell us a little bit so our listeners can know a little bit about you. Tell us about who your family is. Tell us a little bit about uh, just your family, then ministry at Refuge Church. Or didn't you just whatever you want to tell yeah, us about yeah. yourselves? So uh, I'm Brian, and uh, we, Lexi and I have been married for seven, what seven? No, eight. Twenty eleven, going on eight years. It'll be eight in June. And we've got three awesome little kiddos. We've got Ari, uh, who's five, and Ira, who's six. Two brothers, and then Daphne, who is. Did you say just, Ira is six? No, I, did I say that? I was it's, really it's late. late. We've not really had so little sleep. So. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Daphne is just, oh, she's awesome. She's our little girl. She's 18 months or so. And uh, we pastor a small church out here in Ogden, Utah. And we've been doing, we've actually been at the church since it was planted about 10 years ago. Um, but You pastor, I don't. We'll get into some complimentary yeah, issues yeah, right. in a little bit. So we'll, uh, we are uh, flaming complimentarians. <laughs> and <laughs> that's good. We yeah. need more of more, more of people those. like that. No, that's we're right. not we're we we're not scared to say it. Uh, and I've been a preaching pastor for about four four years now at, at the church. Add anything to that? And you became the pastor at refuge at twenty four. Four, yeah, 23? I was it like 24, 24? 24. 24. I was I was a, one of the pastors. On, I, I was ordained at about 21 um, in the kind of the first elder candidacy at the church. Okay. And then from the planting pastor. And then just, man, have worn every hat. 
mm-hmm. worship leader, executive pastor, slash janitor, slash youth dude, slash... The only thing you've never been able to do is kids ministry because you're doing all those other things. Yeah, because on mm-hmm. Sunday you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't really do also. kids if you're leading worship and stuff, so... Right. Yeah. Uh, well, we will... Uh, Lexi, we'll get to asking you a couple things here in a minute, but Brian, I want to hear about... Tell us about when you were called into ministry. So tell us actually when you were converted, and then what was that internal and then external process toward ministry like for you? Mm, man, so we... my I was saved through my parents' witness at a young age, um, sitting on a ratty brown recliner around Christmas time in England, where we were living, stationed with the Air Force. My dad was stationed there. And uh, so we grew up in a Christian home um, and have just had a faith from a, from a really young age. God's been really gracious through, through waxing and waning seasons of faithfulness on my part, for mm-hmm. sure. But um, when I was about 15 or 16, I was um, just began to feel a call to ministry. I was leading worship in a youth group at the time and not well. Uh, and I still cringe when I think about the songs that I picked, like "Shout to the no-, all the classics." <laughs> Wait, did you do the, uh, the "There is no God like Jehovah"? There's no, no God like no. Jehovah. Mm. There's no God like you know, we. Behold, He comes. No. Never. We oh, were like, we're not Bible enough. Oh, 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 okay. He wasn't putting on the Ritz. Oh. <laughs> like, Maybe yeah. we can turn this into a singing podcast where we yeah. sing like you know early two thousands worship. Songs I think your listener. Ship just dropped off dramatically in the last 10 Definitely seconds. Like, pause, uh, yeah, delete. Yeah, delete. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I have led worship a lot over the years, but I had always felt a call to, just an internal call to preaching, okay. teaching, pastoring ministry, and um, had served in youth group and then was uh, able to start leading worship for an adult service at the church I was a part of. Um, and then, but we we had a, Lex and I were dating. <laughs> dating actually in high school and we heard about one of our former youth leaders who's planting a church and we went to the core group and they were preaching like well teaching in, in kind of a small group core group setting okay. expository and it was like you can do that what in you the can world? go verse by verse through whole books of the bible and both of us we why, why was that so shocking yeah. it was so shocking to so we many people starting. when they discovered yeah. expository preaching it's like mm-hmm. You know, it's like looking at somebody with two heads or something. Well, we had actually been, like, my mom had encouraged us to leave our youth group and to go try other churches in the area. Brian wow. was in college, I was in high school, mm-hmm. and we tried other churches, and I think we just didn't, because we didn't experience it at other churches, we just didn't really know it was yeah. a thing. And we, right. remember, we, we visited that Pentecostal, do you remember that? It was like a four-hour worship service. Oh, at gosh. 9.30, they started the actual service, oh. no, no lyrics just make it up as we went. And we left. Like we Cigaroos or Cigaro or whatever that band is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Music. It was, a, it was, it was a Roy House of Prayer. Okay. Oh, well. Bleep that out. Okay. <laughs> there are no edits allowed in this podcast. So whatever you say will not be edited. Yeah, that's a, you know what? Your Roy listenership, is your Roy House of Prayer listenership. They are probably not listening to this much podcast. Much longer before or after that. Oh, God. That's true. Gotcha. Okay, good point. But we had yeah. even tried studying through Hebrews together. We were just hungry to be taught, yeah. to be yeah. discipled, really. So we were... Yeah definitely soaking up scripture after that was cool and that was it. Awesome. just getting a be a part of the, that church and experiencing that culture and then, and then really through that discovering like the first calvinist extremes of expository mm-hmm. preaching and then and then reformed and then just kind of that that's a whole once you tap into that vein it's like a miner finding a vein of silver and it just branches out into a, a hundred directions mm-hmm. and you can follow that for the rest of your life and, right that's so good Okay, well, Lexi, tell us about when you were converted and what you thought about, or even if you did as you were dating Brian, about being a pastor's wife and what that would look like. Um, bring us up to speed on when you were converted and what that process was like for you. Um, I definitely I grew up in a believing home as well. Um, as far as like responsive activity on my part definitely didn't happen until about 13. I grew up in a military family and so when I moved here I really struggled with moving. I didn't want to leave. I really have always been a homebody and wanted to be rooted somewhere and so I really struggled in those teenage years and my, I'm really thankful that the first week we lived here my parents made me get involved in a youth group. So I think because I was just um, like desiring to belong in a group I had also never experienced Christians who were normal. I kind of thought they were weird. And so legitimately 
meeting Brian and his brother and then some other friends in the youth group, I just realized these are normal people who love Jesus and mm. it doesn't have to be a weird um, cult type of a thing. Right. So, um, yeah. And then it was like, I just started growing after that, I guess. Then mm. I was actually owning my faith in a way that I wasn't before. Right. So... What was the other question? About being a pastor's wife, you oh, know, as you saw okay. Brian kind of getting these giftings and opportunities to lead and to serve, and, yeah, and what was so, your process of I mean, before that? I dated Brian, I think I just absolutely loved the church body so much that I knew I wanted to be a part of um, just an active producing member of the church my whole life. I didn't want to really be, we kind of grew up because of the military lifestyle, not able to be active. And so I didn't want that for myself growing in the faith um but as far as a pastor's wife goes i mean well you started as a barista <laughs> yeah a barista's wife. Yeah. oh i heard about that you that's, were at yeah that's right starbucks drunk. right yeah yeah like gotcha. three different one local yeah i was never i guess opposed to the idea of my hmm i don't know how to put this the hmm <laughs> um <laughs> I now don't necessarily like to look at myself as that. I'm married yep. to a pastor. I'm not gotcha. a pastor's wife. And so starting out, it wasn't that way as much. And a lot of that emphasis was kind of placed on us as young pastor's wives that we were almost living up to this celebrity type standard. And I did wow. not like Like an that. office. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Entire gotcha. Um, conferences just for pastor's wives. So the title, like pastor's yes, wife, you don't absolutely. like. Okay. Yeah, I felt like it was more of an office that I was having to fulfill. Okay. And... Which is okay for some people, but for me, since I'm already very task-driven, it was not a good thing for me. And so I had to really start looking at it as, no, I'm a woman in the church who is married, happens to be married to the pastor, and that's, that's really it. really good. So that I could really keep my good. priorities in place. Women's ministry was not my priority. My husband and my kids were. So, yeah. And Gloria Furman helped me with that a lot okay. through her yeah. book, um, The Pastor's Wife. Just seeing that I wasn't showing up on Sundays with the only, I wasn't the only woman with a unique set of standards and yeah, hurdles okay. to get there on Sunday mornings. And I think I thought that way for a long time. Yeah. So, it can create kind of a, a very unhealthy mentality. Yeah. Well, we'll each book yep. that we mention, and you guys love to read, so if there are other books that you mention, <laughs> we'll, we'll tag that in the show notes. So that will Gloria Furman. Gloria Furman, she's my favorite. Uh, and Nancy Wilson. Okay. I can't remember what it's called. Rachel. Yeah. A understand. companion. No, the pastor's wife. Oh. Um, True oh, Companion, Nancy's True book, Companion. Yeah. It's on being a pastor's wife. Fabulous. Those are my two favorite for pastor's okay. wife. Okay. We'll make sure you, you get those in the show notes. Um, okay. So both of you, what, what Jordan and I have so appreciated about you guys is that you are very disciplined and eager learners in a very uncommon way. And I, I would hope that through your influence, even at Refuge Church and even for Jordan and I, we have we've grown in our discipline of just reading and wanting to be intentional about our families learn our family learning and but you seem to live with a lot of intentionality so as i was sitting here right before this you guys were putting your kids to bed and you were reading harry potter on the couch <laughs> and just sitting as a family and reading and your boys you know had the sword and they were fighting and rambunctious and a lot like my sons or my you know, four-year-old son, and I've got a one-year-old, you know, Valor, who's not yet running around with a sword, but he will be soon. <laughs> and uh, but you guys live with great intentionality. And um, what has been, or who has been, the most influential factors and in people in your life that have helped you to foster that kind of lifestyle that's mm. just intentional with growing your mind and building that into your family life, and just it's interesting. You guys are an interesting couple. You know, man, what the first, and this is weird sounding, but the first influential factor I think for both of us is living in a howling waste of of no mentorship, no mm. uh, seminaries, no, like our, our pathway was not what I'd recommend to a... Do you mean just because we're in Utah? Or yeah, being mean? in Utah, okay. just a very, I mean, high Mormon, very low Christian. Um, and even, even if you were to shrink that down to like what we'd consider healthy want to replicate kind of Christian leaders or anything like that, um, it kind of forces you. I didn't go to seminary first, um, didn't really have strong models to follow in this. So it's like you either become an autodidact and you read and learn, or you, you like it's you should just give up. You should just not do it. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, the first. And then from there, there have been so many 
really good voices. Um, man, starting with the least controversial, probably Douglas Wilson. <laughs> yeah, you right. Yeah, I get to say the least <laughs> yeah, controversial. The least controversial. Right. Like, just a, like a glad-hearted, warm pastoral. Um, but theologically and culturally maximalist type of man who is unashamedly masculine, um, unashamedly believes the Bible, and that there's lots of other names that could go out. I mean, John Piper was a big influence for us. Um, but man, it's, I think for me, probably, I'm always very thankful that my parents chose to homeschool me because I feel like. I grew up knowing there were other options from what everyone else was doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think yeah. a lot of people today necessarily know that. And so yeah. when I went into adulthood, I didn't feel like I was having to choose between A and B for every adult situation. Mm -hmm. It was, I had um, a more creative model for how to do things. And part of that too is just the military lifestyle. Yeah. I, th I think that's part of it for you also. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as actual people, I remember getting my hands on any moms listening, if you have teenage daughters, do not hand them Christian romance novels. <laughs> Please hand them Elizabeth Elliot and Edith Schaefer. Um, Ooh, I really yeah. wish yeah. that Show somebody we'll had <laughs> handed me those two authors a lot earlier. I mean, I got them as soon as we were married. I remember devouring everything by Edith Schaefer and just the intentional um, lifestyle there. And then um, following the rabbit trail, Edith Schaefer's daughter wrote... Um, for the children's sake, which is a educational philosophy about Charlotte Mason. And that's specifically where I started really thinking about, I knew I've always been really passionate about lifestyle learning and homeschooling, um, education in general, but intentionality with all of your family lifestyle habits came from um, Susan Schaefer McCauley. So that was a really, really big influencer. And honestly, straight from there, Doug Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Lexi yeah. was, and still is, honestly, the biggest kind of driver for me as well. Just in in uh, really being uh, a helper. I mean, like a like she's saying that the pastor's wife not being a separate office with its own like because that's unbiblical. It's not and not it's not an office, but being a helper. And for her, that meant she was focusing in homeward, and we're going to be educating our kids coming up. They're growing up, and so she's reading some streams that I wasn't as a pastor. Because I'm thinking about other things, but those streams turned out to be massively valuable pastorally as well, mm -hmm. and for our yeah. own family culture. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the principle from First Timothy three about a, governing your household well for an elder is that the fruit you're going to bear at home will be what you bear in the church. That's good. And so, what you anything that's going to pour into the home will downstream end up being really good pastoral theology if it's really good home theology. So classical education and kind of those streams. And all of that is about how to be human. So, yeah. I mean, it applies to me as a mom with my kids, but it applies to a pastor with his flock. Mm -hmm. He's teaching people who also yeah. need to learn how to be human. And that's a paradigm change. When you when you stop thinking of pastoring as laboring to get people to assent to a set of mental facts or even a, a creed or, or something, and you understand that what Jesus is doing in the gospel is... Creation, fall, decreation, redemption, new creation. He's creating oh, good. a new yeah. humanity. And that's having a maximalist anthropology that takes mm -hmm. into account every yeah. part of humanity. I mean, your educational part, your uh, just social, sexual, all these different parts. Like That really helps you start realizing that there are more books to read, more things to learn. Mm -hmm. And those just that's a rich, yep. you run out of hours in the day, you know, <laughs> and years in your life. Right. So for you guys... And I want to get to this uh, thing that I witnessed earlier during dinner time. In fact, let's just go there now. Then I want to come back and help me remember this so I don't forget it. I want to talk to you guys about uh, get rid of, getting rid of Netflix and how you sure. how you uh, prioritize reading. And yeah, your church upset. Just kidding. But uh, I, we were sitting around the dinner ta dinner table. Lexi made a really good meal tonight. We had this mm. meatball soup that was Amen. you know I felt like going to the battlefield after eating this yeah. you know food tonight. And, some homemade bread, and um, and so there was this table liturgy that happened in prayer or declaration over your children, and then an amen response. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that because yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. And for people who want to know more about that sort of thing, yes. where, where do you find out about that kind of stuff? So, like everything that is worth anything that we do, we didn't come up with it. 
Uh, and <laughs> it was actually something that um, Ben Merkel and Rebecca Merkel, who are, Ben is the president of New St. Andrews College. So they were overseas and some family were visiting them and they sat down to dinner and they, they were like, they did the same thing and it, and it struck them and they wrote about it. I think it was Nancy Yeah, Wilson. it was on the Femina blog that they were yeah. writing about their So in the, the idea was um, we, we want to produce uh, a culture of feasting. That's one of our values as a church, but also as a family, a culture of feasting. So weekly we, we have a Sunday feast and typically that means that we're partnering with one other pastor's family in the church and we're rotating other families in and inviting them into that friendship and feasting. And uh, we begin it with uh, a table liturgy that the, the, the man of the house, whether that's if we're at the other elder's house, he leads it. And if we're at my house, I would lead it. And it would begin with just peace to you. And then uh, we, we teach our kids to respond. We tell everybody before, like, this is what you'd say in response. And they say, and peace to you. And then there's a, a blessing to the sons, to my sons. May um, the Lord arm you with strength, make your feet like the feet of deer and set you up on high places. And then everyone says, amen. Um, to my daughters, um, may you become the mother of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of your enemies. Aim, which is metal, just awesome. And I <laughs> want that for my daughter. So good, <laughs> so good. Amen to my bride. Um, just kind of pulling from Song of Solomon. There's some things, and I don't make everyone say amen to that because I say that. Many women have done well, but you surpassed them all. And I don't want to make other men amen that about my wife necessarily. <laughs> and then to all gathered, quoting from Jesus, given it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running running over, put into your bosom. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then we pray. Um, the idea being that um, we kind of as a culture don't like rote memorization. We, we don't think it's authentic, but... <laughs> That's what God uses to work culture into the grain of our hearts mm-hmm. and, to, and to bring those things <laughs> I up love that. That's later. So good. Uh, what's that uh, James K.A. Smith book? The, the liter- uh, You Are What You Love? You Are What You Love. That's where we kind of started realizing that whether or not we're um, thoughtfully, we're always interacting with liturgies in our life, whether or not yeah. we're being the ones to create them. And it's those liturgies that are shaping our hearts. And, um, yeah. Yeah. and that's part of why we started to choose that was that we wanted to model that for other families just to realize that what you're doing actually matters because it is shaping the people your children are it's shaping who you are and yeah. so being a little yeah. more proactive with was it van it was either van till or kuiper who said uh, culture is religion externalized and uh what that means and i think that's true number one but what that means is that what we truly worship should begin to be externalized in our culture that's Awesome. And, and so you cannot just look at the tree and know what fruit it's going to grow. You can also look at the, the fruit and actually know whether you're growing the tree you really intend to grow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. that means we're going to try to intentionally put up some trellises that are going to keep the tree growing. You know, this is kind of a mixed metaphor now, but keep the tree growing where we want it to. And that's just one of those. Well, it's so, it's so easy with life, with family, to get caught in, in kind of survival mode. We talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that earlier today, where you're not intentional with what you're doing, mm-hmm. with how you're eating in, yeah. the, in the evenings, yeah. or yeah. how you're spending time playing, mm-hmm. or resting at home, or celebrating, or all these different things that, that we want our families to be shaped by. And it's easy just to realize, you know, 10, 20 years later that mm-hmm. you, you kind of wake up a little bit and wonder where'd the time go. Yeah. And what I appreciate about you guys is that intentionality. It's just so good and refreshing and helpful. Hey there, I want to interrupt this interview and tell you quickly about the Shepherd's Crook Intensive. The Shepherd's Crook Intensive is a two-day event in Current River, Missouri, in which 10 men will come together and uh, spend a couple days in a cabin by the river and learn about pastoral ministry. I'm going to answer two questions for these this group of men. Who is a pastor and what does a pastor do? Food, lodging will all be included in the cost, and also it will include two float trips down the river. Should be a lot of fun. I want to encourage you today to check out the information on the shepherdscrook.co backslash intensive. You can also look up the podcast in which I told a little bit more about about what the couple days is going to include. I want to encourage you to come. It's $175, and I think it'll be well worth the money and the investment to get there. Check it out today. And now, back to the show. 
Another thing that, that you guys do that I'm really impressed by is you got rid of Netflix. I mean, you weirdos. I mean, <laughs> come on. And you did that because you had a priority in your life that you wanted to you wanted to fill up that time in a better way. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how you you guys read a substantial amount. And both of you are very disciplined in your reading. If you if anybody was to ask you, hey, what are you reading right now? And what's your reading plan for this year? Mm-hmm. You know, I, if you want a list of books to read, talk to Brian and Lexi about any <laughs> particular topic. And they can give you a really good recommendation of books to read that will be very helpful. And it will be tailored to what you're actually asking to read about. How do you make reading and furthering your education through independent studies a priority and how do you have time? I mean, you guys have three kids, mm-hmm. yeah. so I know Netflix is a part of that. But how do you maximize your time to to make sure that priority is actually a priority? Man, so the, the the first thing is honestly, it's a classical Christian education answer, and it's be interested. Hmm. If you're not interested in the world, then you, you number one, you don't understand God. You don't understand the type of Creator He is, because He's Solomon says that it's the glory of kings, or it's the glory of God to hide. These, these secret, this beautiful, like intricate wisdom in the world. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And so if you view the world as like everything, particle physics and theology and um, cooking and home ec as interesting because it tells us something of God, mm-hmm. then you won't get bored reading one tiny little dusty nook that you're going to just end up like, oh, I'm, I'm done reading. I've, I've read everything I can about I've read every Crossway book that's published this year, and I'm done now. Right. Like, not Crossway's great, but you, you know, <laughs> I love Crossway. Crossway, send us free stuff. We're going to be doing uh, Crossway giveaway yeah, soon, just, by the way. Yeah. No, I really do love Crossway. But maybe you can add more about the practical rhythms in the, the Netflix piece. And I mean, I always, I, I have to be careful when talking about this mm-hmm. because I know that most people are not like me personally. Mm-hmm. I don't have many hobbies aside from reading and cooking food. <laughs> so, um, I have always loved reading too. It's not really a discipline for me. I more have to discipline myself to get up and go cook some food. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the practical side of it goes, um, ask more questions about the practical stuff. I'm just going to start rattling off and maybe go into another land at this point. But, <laughs> okay. um, I, like I said, never had to discipline myself. Always was just a voracious reader, picking up book after book, going mm-hmm. through footnotes. One author led to another, led to another topic. Yeah until about two years ago um, when I just kind of realized, well, what happened was Brian said we should kind of get rid of Netflix. I agreed, I always fell asleep anyways, but um, we started just seeing some friends of ours go to seminary and some of them were complaining, some of them liked it, and we just kind of wondered, is there another way to be educated aside from paying all this money and not really feeling that great about it? friend of mine had gone to NARS, North American Reform Seminary, a free online seminary program. And we both kind of looked at getting into that, but there's not very many Presbyterians in the state, so Brian couldn't find a mentor. That's ultimately what happened. And they wouldn't accept me for the program I wanted to get into because I'm a female and it's okay and I understand. But um, (laughs) I just realized I had four extra hours a day, basically, after no Netflix that I could be spending towards reading Um, So what it looks like very, very practically detailed for me is when I get up in the morning, scripture, um, and then I'm always in a Puritan after that. I commonplace with my reading, which means I get through way less books than Brian does. It takes me longer to get through books, but I don't want to be, you're a great reader, you're not a lazy reader. I don't want to be a lazy reader, so I really do take notes on everything that I'm reading. Part of that, too, is because I write I have written in the past at least a different platform, so I need to keep track of my notes well. So, scripture, Puritan, until I come upon something I want to journal about, and then I journal, that's it. Um, I only have about an hour or less. Yes, sir? Well, I was thinking just about the, the commonplace. I'm ta- I talk for a living, so I'm always preaching, and I write 3,000, 4,000 words a week just for a sermon. And so, I'm continually narrating and externalizing anything I'm reading, but three-year-olds aren't as good of conversationalists. So. And I'm more of an introvert, yeah, so just, I need the journal yeah, to talk yeah, to. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I didn't mean to. <laughs> but um, then less than an hour in the afternoon and then reading at night. So my afternoon is just when all my kids have a little bit of quiet time 
And that's where I do my goals for reading. So last year, my goal was just more ancient history. I realized I knew nothing about ancient history and I wanted to pick up some more church fathers. So I had picked up some Cicero, I had picked up some Augustine, and I had picked up some ancient history books by Quito, which were really good. But I found that when I was trying to go through dense books on their own, like Cicero, morning, afternoon, and night, I burnt myself out completely. And so um, C.S. Lewis talks about, I think it's for like every, every three ancient books, you can read one modern book. And so I was kind of trying to stick to that, but I knew this year if I wanted to keep that up long-term, I could not do it. Um, I got through some history books, that was okay. And then kind of at some point, maybe it was over the summer, uh, Nate Wilson said that they opened up a distance program for their creative writing master's program. And so my bachelor's degree is in creative writing. And so I just kind of thought, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to check it out. It was somewhat affordable. Not that I really was considering going back to school, but I just wanted to see if it was even possible for me. And all the only prereq I didn't have was Greek. So I don't want to learn Greek. I want to learn Latin. So I just kind of thought I'm not going to get into that program, but still I have all this time. How can I be even more disciplined? Mm -hmm. Which led me to uh, Searcy Institute, Andrew Kern, um, he has like a how to continue, continue your classical ed as an adult. And he had like five different steps he said to follow. So I kind of formulated a plan based on what he said and then based on Doug Wilson's classical canon that he suggests you read. And so this year that's what I'm doing, but how I'm, I'm, I'm looping my reading now. So I'm not reading straight through a book anymore. This is going to sound insane. But I read 15 minutes of ancient history. So right now it's Her- Herodotus. How do I say it? Herodotus? It. Herodotus' nice. histories. Then I go into the Iliad for 15 minutes. And then I am in Boethius's classical principles of music for 15 minutes. And that's kind of it. That's about 45 minutes during the day that I have. And then I read whatever the heck I want at night mm-hmm. after 15 minutes of Shakespeare. Which I'm you really don't seem too through. enthused about Shakespeare. You know? <laughs> She's um, like, I gotta read Hamlet, <laughs> and I'm always like, I, just, you can make it. Just get, get through it I to read, get to the book you want to read. It's a tragedy, I mean. So my mom read some Shakespeare to me as a kid, but I realize now that she never read the tragedies to me. And oh. I'm reading um, Canon Press's Worldview Guides with each book I'm reading, and they've mm-hmm. only printed Worldview Guides for the tragedies, and I don't like the tragedies. <laughs> so, anyways, so a little bit of Shakespeare at night, and then really whatever the heck I want to do for fun to keep my mind going. Yeah. Awesome. Be it a cookbook, be it just staring at the ceiling because I'm so exhausted after chasing my kids around, whatever. So I love it. So if you're out there and you're listening, be intentional with your, with furthering your education. You know, you can get a degree. I know many of my listeners are seminarians and and you're doing the work to get the degree, but if you're getting a degree just to get a degree and not to become a lifelong learner, then you're missing out of the Mm -hmm. major point of your education. We want to be we want to continue to learn the rest of our lives. And at Brian, you said that this world is, I mean, it's a beautiful place. God has given it to us and, and given us responsibilities on this earth. And there is wonder all around us if we can open yeah. our eyes and see it. And so there's unlimited amount of things that we can learn, that we can study, and that we can grow in. Yeah. And this it doesn't have to be burdensome. You know, there are going to be times when we're reading. It's just like reading our Bible. As we're reading through our yeah. Bible, there's, there's it, from year to year, there's, there's parts in the Bible that are, more exhilarating to us and then there's parts of the bible you're reading through and you just it's just honestly hard it's just it's just hard and a lot of times our reading goes like that too and and so build a plan continue to learn and and make it fun Mm -hmm. and uh but that's just so good okay let's switch gears a little bit let me just ask a couple family questions and I'm curious as to, and you just, we were just talking earlier about your days off, and so I know that your days off, Brian, are Mondays and Tuesdays, but how do you make home life and family a priority? And so how, the, how does your the, like weekly schedule, what does it look like? And, you, you know, as pastors, the best of ourselves, we are, we are called to give the best of ourselves, the best of our critical thinking, the best of our ambition, and the best of our evangelism, of our discipleship, of our strategic thinking to our family. And then from that, it's not that the church and everybody else in our world gets the sloppy seconds, but we're thinking family outward, Mm -hmm. not church. And then the family happens to get some of me. Yeah. We give the best of ourselves to the, to our family. And so how, how do you maintain the priority of family and, 
and ministry and work ministry schedules are so strange. But what does that look like maintaining that priority for you guys? So I mean, so there are some men who uh, will. We talk a lot about pastors working too much. There are some men who also use the family as a shield to be like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. It, it, it is a cost to your family to, to do anything well. It's going to cost your family. And so the question first is, I want to make sure what I'm doing is worth the cost. Yeah. And ministry is yeah. worth the cost. So it is, as a family, we're bearing a burden to love and serve other people. But um, family outward isn't just like a good church leadership tactic. It's, it is impossible to be a biblically qualified elder and not do well at home. You can't serve people in a church well if you're not serving your home well. So you, 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 we, don't, you sh- we shouldn't even be viewing it as like these two things at odds where we're saying, how can I give enough to each? It's like, I'm not giving anything really good because a disqualified pastor is not, should not be a pastor. Right, that's you good. Know? So <clears throat> even in serving my family, I'm, I'm actually pastoring my people. That's so good. That's so helpful. That fruit is gonna is going to overflow into the church, mm-hmm. and honestly, probably put a number to it. Probably sixty five percent of of fruit in our own ministry at the local church. It's like it's directly from from family life. That's true. Mm-hmm. Directly That's true. from family life. Yep. It's not uh, sermons are great, corporate worship's great, um, but. The things that really, when people go, when they start getting it, and you start seeing people become like going, stepping into real authentic discipleship mm-hmm. and making that plodding, slow journey, it's because more often than not, they've caught something in it from the family thing, mm-hmm. and then they've moved forward there. Yeah. So practically, I mean, that means I, I don't do, I just don't do evenings as much as possible, and that's, I, that's I've heard good. people say that's, that's really hard. Like I hear you say that, and and I hear you say I'm, I'm unavailable, but I work on Saturdays. You know, I'm, I'm, we'll be flexible. We'll do an evening if we have to, but man, I have to be home at the dinner table with my kids. I have to read to my kids at night. Got to be there to pray for them so that they're not raised in a functional matriarchy. Mm. They need to be raised by, by a father. Um, and also help from Dan, um, the, the other staff pastor executive pastor at the church you know when he came on staff i was the only yeah. staff member and he Total said game changer for our family yeah he said you need to take another day off you're taking one day off and and i fought that i did not want to do it i for me it, it means working less than i want to but it was it was what i needed to hear that's good at least in this season maybe there'll be another season where six days a week would be fine yeah but it's not the season with three young kids yeah Part of that too was we had started homeschooling this year and I just yeah. needed extra help that to get Ari to a specific class that Music day the lessons weekend. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so he's And I want to be involved again, in that, yeah. yeah, he's just f- fulfilling his role as a mm-hmm. homeschooling dad. <laughs> homeschooling yeah. dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that is so helpful of seeing this as okay, the these two different worlds that we so often uh, talk about family and ministry. And for the pastor, it's like there, there. This is my family is my ministry. I mean, this is this mm-hmm. is this is. If I am disqualified here, mm-hmm. I can't be a pastor. Yeah. And that's the that's a, a key. And you know what? It's like family is really fun. I mean, there, yeah. there's yeah. there's aspects of family life that are so fun. And I don't want to be the pastor that. And I know that you don't want to be mm-hmm. the pastor yeah. who who is more intrigued by church life mm-hmm. and not recognizing the church life that is in the square footage that I live every single day. Right. I mean, this is this is my family. And so even like discipleship and evangelism, I often encourage guys to say, before your kids are Christians, the epicenter of evangelism in your life is your home. That's your right. training ground. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're thinking about ways and praying about ways to present the gospel to your children. Yeah. And then the epicenter of discipleship, when they become Christians, it's not the men that I'm discipling at the church. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's my family. And yeah. then there's mutual discipleship mm-hmm. that's happening in the, in the home with between husband and wife, and there's yeah. ways that my wife challenges me, and then I challenge her. And and so I, I love that, and I think you guys have that right priority of 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 not seeing these things at odds, just seeing that this is this is my ministry. This yeah. is everything flows from from home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you you mentioned this about not wanting to have a fun, functional matriarchy at the home, mm-hmm. and and needing to be as a father in the lives of your children. Yeah. And I've seen a common trend, and, and I don't know if you've seen this or, or not, but I've seen a common trend, a trend in reformed, in the reformed complementarian world of late, 
about a subtle, it's kind of like a subtle embarrassment of our complementarianism. It's like being covertly apologetic that we hold this position. And instead of focusing on what God calls men and women to actually do and to be, we shy away from that and we're embarrassed about that. Now, Now, do you sense that to be true? And if so, why do you think that is? And and then this is like a, a three-part question here. So do you think that's true? Why do you think that's true? And what's wrong with that? Dun, dun, dun. It is true. <laughs> so the bomb is about to explode. It Let's is hear it. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to say something. Tell me if you've ever heard this in a sermon on complementarity or on what specifically on why our church is complementarian and has male pastors only. Um, I know a lot of great women who would be wonderful pastors. And heck, a better pastor than me even, believe it or not. And God, it has nothing to do with a pastor being uh, male or female. That's just an arbitrary thing God decided. We're just doing that in mere obedience, just kind of blind obedience to the word. There's no real aspect of masculinity or femininity that lends itself to or not to that office. And it's like, that is not how Paul talks. Correct. That, that is not how Proverbs talks. That's not how Peter talks. That's not how, that's just not how the, that's not the language of the Bible. Um, the language of the Bible is that there are unique aspects of masculinity, this kind of um, single-minded, um, courageous, laying down of the life, um, dog, dog, dogmatic um, willingness to stand in, in the face of opposition for, for hard truth. Uh, like you could go through all these different characteristics of masculinity that are evident in the world, like red pill movement guys who are secular masculinity gurus right now. Like they're noticing a lot of these things. They don't have the foundation to explain it. Um, while in the church, we're slowly drifting into this, like we're complementarian and we're sorry. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Please forgive yeah. us. Caveat, caveat, yeah, yeah. caveat, 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 caveat. Don't be mad. And the type of man who is drawn to that to become pastors makes it a self-fulfilling kind of vicious cycle. Because then the type of men who are drawn to that in the church are effeminate men, mm-hmm. not the masculine men in the church who are like, well, that just doesn't seem, I don't seem to be like, I don't, I don't cry enough. You know, I'm not emotional enough to be, I'm not tender enough. And, and, and they're defining all those words. Those words can all be fine, but they're all being defined from a, a feminine center of gravity. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I think about, about this issue is that it's actually in the fight for trying to honor women. Yeah. And that's the, the real call in egalitarianism is, mm-hmm. is the try to honor women. Yeah. And the reality is it's so demeaning Yeah, because it, it continues to chip away at women actually hearing what God says to them. Now, God mm-hmm. gave women and men both the dignity of speaking to them as gendered humans, yeah. not just speaking to them as asexual human beings. It's just hey, this mass of humanity, yeah. but speaking to men as men and women as women. Yeah. And the demeaning aspect of, of being embarrassed about our complementarianism yeah. is that it's actually pulling women away from listening to what God has to say to them. And God is honored men and women both by speaking to them. Yeah. yeah. And and so anyways, so Lexi, any thoughts on that at all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think some of the bigger issues that we ran into as a church is when um Brian definitely, but when I take the brunt of talking about feminism issues, be it social media or in Bible study groups or just personal relationships, we've had um multiple people leave the church over things that um I've posted on Facebook specifically, but I think that one of the more interesting things to me is that um, I'm not necessarily interested in talking to unbelievers about feminism because I know that I can't convince them (laughs) of that. That has to be something the Spirit does, but I am more shocked and discouraged by Christian women who are calling themselves feminists. And so my beef has always been with wanting to encourage them in the scripture. You say you believe scripture, let's talk about this from a scriptural perspective. They only have cultural arguments or economic type arguments which aren't even coming from a Christian worldview. So the funny thing to me is that when I actually want to start talking logically with them, they either leave the conversation or they kind of result to a nice version of Christian name calling essentially. And I've honestly, I've even had women that I've tried to, you know, I don't like to carry things on on Facebook, at least not much longer now. 
Um, I will, when I see someone respond to something that I post about feminism, I will pick up the phone and I will call them now. Yeah. And That's I've wise. only ever had That's one wise. woman answer the phone. Yeah. So it's just, it's discouraging to me because they want the same sort of platform. They want to be respected. But when it comes to actually using their intellect and loving the Lord with their mind, or they say they love the Lord with their mind, it's, it's just kind of hard and discouraging because I want them to see that they're not, they're not looking at this from a Christian perspective no. at all. They're totally convinced of the world. So that's what's discouraging to me. And what that means is that um, the, the the world is aiming to get them to worship a, a god, and the god is autonomy, self-definition, uh, the self, the complete sovereignty of the self over the self. And what it produces, inevitably, at least right now what it's producing, is a culture of, of death. Those mm-hmm. who hate wisdom love death. That's the programmatic principle of Proverbs. Lady Wisdom says, those who hate me love death. And so when you hate wisdom, biblical wisdom, concerning anything, you embrace death in that area. And the way that plays out in gender right now is that um, our women are, be, are being discipled and they're discipling themselves to hate wisdom about yeah. what the glory of femininity is. And so the culture that's produced is an intentionally barren culture yeah. because the glory of femininity is life-giving, life-bearing. Wow gospel yeah that's be- that's be- like every month not to get graphic but every month a woman's body <laughs> preaches a gospel of blood and death preparing the way for new life hmm. you know <laughs> well and you think about it, it's like the catchy phrase words like minimalism that's mm-hmm. truly only possible in a home that has no humans in it to mess up the minimalistic streamlinedness of things yeah. and so like seeing that and then um, just seeing, okay, so G.K. Chesterton has an essay, I can't remember the act, uh, title of it right now, but he talks about the reason we kept women at home was for their freedom. It was for their freedom mm-hmm. to develop yeah. their talents, to develop their mind. They can't do that when they're going to work and reporting to a boss. Um, mm-hmm. And that could get into a whole different topic of workplace type things. But um, I think that is important for women to realize that when they're choosing that and in a way they're enslaving themselves to something instead of pursuing actual freedom, which is what they want. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it was C.S. Lewis, um, Oh gosh, surprised by joy where he's talking about that feeling of nostalgia or northernness is another way he talks about it. And he talks about how he spent his whole childhood looking for it because he'd, he'd find those feelings in the landscape specifically. And so he was always out roaming around the countryside but when he was always intentionally looking for it, it didn't happen. But when he was looking sideways, it was happening in the peripheral in a way. And so I think women are doing that a lot in our culture today, um, where they are trying so hard to pursue their lives. But like Jesus says, that's insanity. You're going to lose your life when you're trying to pursue your life instead of yeah. being oh, wow, willing to spend it on yeah. people. And there's a masculine way that, that, we're, that men are called to spend their lives, and there's a feminine way. Yeah. And each of them entails a cross, and so each of them is hated by the flesh. Yes. Um, anything that images God is going to be hated by people who hate God. And so if there's a peculiar glory of, mas- of God that's revealed <clears throat> in masculinity, yeah. it's going to be hated by people who hate God. If there's a peculiar glory of God that's being imaged in yeah. femininity people who hate God are going to hate it. And I would say if you're the type of woman who's at home and is bored all day, you're doing it wrong. Because if you are maximizing all of your obedience to the scripture, to yourself as a female, you will have so much to do. You won't even know what to do. And that that gets into, I'm not prescribing that this is what a biblical woman looks like. She has red hair. She wears glasses. She wears cute denim skirts. She cooks bread at home. The floodgates are wide open when you start thinking about how do I fulfill the principle of love in my home to my husband, to my kids, to my neighbors, to my local church family. It's, it's not a prescribed legalistic thing. It is a very, very open and creative thing. We just don't view it as that anymore. Hmm. So, you know, it's almost like God telling men and women what to do isn't to completely ruin our lives, but it's like, (laughs) he's trying to show us, Hey, here's how you thrive. Yes. Here's how life works. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we all say, well, that's legalism. Yeah. It's like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the shield well, minute, of legalism. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a way to flourish in this life. Yeah. yeah. As men and as women. Oh, and that's too, I think that's something we've noticed is people do not like the categories of good, better, best. Oh, yeah, yeah. When we're talking about 
sure, something could be a good decision. And sure, you could do that. You could get a part-time job and still be a great home taker. But is is there a better option? Is it even the best option? And that's people don't like that again, too. And I think specifically in my interactions with Christians and the whole feminism topic, we don't, we... The world says that there's no such thing as truth. And what that looks like in the church is that there's no such thing as wisdom. And then it gets really particular and you say, no, there's no such thing as one type of homemaker. Well, what if scripture says there is one? What if scripture says it just looks like faithfulness to your locals? And that's, that could be it for 20 years. You're planting a seed that's going ground and dying and you're not going to see the crop until you may be in the dead and in the ground and dead. So it's, yeah. And it's, it's relative. That's relativism at the end of the day yeah. if you reject good better best as a paradigm for for yes. wisdom like okay it could be good if you you know maybe arranged your life this way but it'd be better if you did and it'd be even the best if you could do it this way if someone responds you know that's true for you brother <laughs> and, and maybe there are genuine preference things but if to the degree that it's anchored to direct objective biblical realities mm-hmm. That's just an appeal to relativism. Yeah. You know, actually, Jordan said something to me. We had a conversation a couple months ago, probably, where she was talking about how God does give grace for seasons of just getting by. Mm. But yeah. the, the issue that happens is when just getting by is the norm for everything. Yeah, and right. part of why there is grace for the season is because we know there's something better than just that season that's mm. coming ahead of us. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think it was Anthony Eslin that said, people who don't set their hearts high will always just aim yeah. low. And so it's not, you're not, we're not trying to be perfectionists. We're not saying that Christians don't ever sin in this life, but God's grace is very thick. It's yeah. a fruit-producing yes. yeah. And also read Anthony Esselin. Okay. Well, I've got a lot of show notes to remember. But I have <laughs> so been, sorry. I have been so... This has been fun. It really yeah. has been. It's been cool. It's kind of just been hanging out, you know? Yeah. And uh, we love you, and you guys are a testimony of God's grace, and also, I think, a testimony of what God's grace can look like in a family when a family understands what Jesus has done for them, and out of gratefulness, wanting to live life to His glory... You guys model that well. And from afar, we've learned a lot from you. And I think our listeners will will get a lot out of this as well. So I'm really appreciative of your guys' time tonight. And it's just been a lot of fun. Thank you, sir. Sweet. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.